A boy's best friend is his mother. Janet! Dr. Scott! Janet! Ah! Rocky! Oh, you're so cool, Brewster! I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? It was an asylum! And it was hell! 20 years of pure hell! Movies don't create psychos! Movies make psychos more creative! They're all gonna laugh at you! Hey, shouldn't you be folding towels somewhere, sniffing jock straps? Better give me those shoes, they're mine, give them back to me! How many times do I have to tell you Ursula Andres belongs with the transvestites, not the perverts? Oh, you heterosexuals. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. You're a bullshit artist! They're coming, they're coming! Welcome to Screaming Queens, the horror podcast with the Queer Eye View. It's Halloween, or it will be when you're listening to this episode. And also, uh, it's actually our 50th episode. So, congratulations, boys. Um, And we really wish that you could see us right now, because, well... um, Oh, Jonathan's got a cool t-shirt on as well. Jonathan Butler, what's your t-shirt, please? Uh, Contamination. Is that Life Force? No, no, it's uh, another thing. Yeah, it's Luigi Cotsi. I'm going to guess it's uh, contamination. Yeah, <laughs> it was sort of like alien contamination as well. So ah, right. When Louise went to Rome, she went to Profondo Rosso. Yeah. And he was there. The main, main reason I want to go to Rome now, Ben's like, we want to go to the Vatican City, and I'm like, I want to go to the Profondo Rosso shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was, he was in there. He was oh, yeah. chatting away for a while. Okay, cool. And um, and Stephen is wearing. Uh, would you like to describe your apparel this evening, Stephen, for um, our, for our listeners? It's a lovely orange pumpkin with eyelashes that's aged eleven to twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, girls. <laughs> it looked a bit big on you. Yeah, um, I really want to size that as well. It wasn't going to be smaller. Oh, wow. Um, well, I think I'll have to actually take a I'll take, remind me to take yeah. a picture before the night's through because we'll have to put these two up to um, pimp them out on Twitter in the spanking new t shirt. So, happy Halloween, everyone. Um, I, I took to Twitter a few days ago and just asked a few of our followers what their choices for Halloween usually are because tonight we're going to do like Halloween films mm-hmm. and stuff. I went on Twitter and asked a few people what their what the usual go-tos are. So we had some really nice responses. Emmy Costa came back and said the fog and Halloween are her usuals. Mm, However, oh, this is really sweet. However, she's planning to do some Jalo and video nasties from her Screaming Queens collection. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Which I assume are the films that we've conned into buying. <laughs> <laughs> and we're still not getting any percentages. <laughs> I noticed that she hasn't been in touch with us since she bought The Greasy Strangler. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I did apologise in advance for that one, Emmy. So, um, yeah. I warned you. <laughs> we all did. <laughs> Don't say you weren't warned. T Terror Podcast uh, came back and said he, they, he would watch usually a universal monster movie mm. type thing but he's thinking of going with that Abbott and Costello film this year it's unusual well it's one of the staples of my horror loving childhood as really? well because they did like a whole series like Abbott and Co- Costello meet Frankenstein yeah and the werewolf wasn't there and all that yeah. um, I'm, the Frankenstein one I remember, remember being really good because Bella Lugosi was in it as well yeah I think there was a crossover wasn't it isn't that one of the universal films where they all actually crossover yeah it's like all the, all the monsters come together Rachel and Elizabeth, our Jello friend, 
says the craft. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which she actually didn't realise that it was like quite a big Halloween thing for gays to watch the craft. She didn't realise that it oh, has yeah, a bit of a definitely. gay following. <laughs> um, so I directed her to our witchcraft episode. Although she uses scraping across floorboards <laughs> yes. this Halloween. Yes, they are. And we're covering the house in cockroaches and snakes. Yeah. Chris Brown, not the one who beat Rihanna up, um, <laughs> but the uh, wonderful guy who does the Last Horror Podcast, he says, Halloween 3, Martin's favourite. <laughs> <laughs> or Trick or Treat. Yeah, oh. um, Our other Jallo loving friend, Senior Ward, says Halloween, the original, and he was actually a little bit worried that that might be a bit of a boring choice. So, um, I support your boring choice, Senor Ward, because tonight I'm actually discussing Halloween. That's my choice of film, so don't worry too much. Patrick Maguire says, Trick or Treat. Yes. Trick or Treat's getting the love. Mm-hmm. It's getting the love. It's definitely got the Halloween feel, though. It makes yeah. you feel like Halloween. Yeah. You can smell the candy corn. Is that what they have in America? I don't know. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, you can smell the corpse. Yeah, that is not. <laughs> Isn't the second one out soon? Aren't they working on their sequel? They've never said that, but I don't know if it'll ever happen. So and um, Sleepaway Ben says, uh, Halloween, Candyman, or The Serpent and the Rainbow. Mm, good choice. Mm. Cozy Perversa says, Hocus Pocus. Yes. <laughs> Cozy Perversa, I had much more faith in you than this. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm shocked. Bitch and Boutique say, Hocus Pocus as well. Night of the Same. Demons and The Great Pumpkin, which I've never actually heard no, of anyone. No, no. Maybe it's an American thing. Charlie Brown. Is it? Oh, it might be. Charlie Brown, uh, Halloween thing. Like that. Oh, probably. And Amanda Reyes, who runs the um, Made for TV Mayhem, who's the expert in horror on TV, uh, came back with Halloween 2. Yeah. But mm-hmm. obviously, being Amanda, she watches the Halloween 2 TV version because mm-hmm. they made like extra yeah, scenes. Yeah. They made like put extra scenes into those first two films in the for TV and she prefers that one because Lance Guest makes it all the way to the end in that film and he's like a curly haired dream so <laughs> good choices there from everyone um, so tonight we are doing our we've all come here armed with our favourite Halloween viewing well three of us have and I think one of them just made it up as he went along <laughs> but we'll come, we'll come back to that <laughs> yeah. um, so introducing everyone I'm Jonathan Larkin I'm Martin Fennessy Stephen Moore uh, Jonathan Butler um, and yeah so we thought we'd just sort of jump right in um, oh also before I forget for Halloween um, Liverpool Pride are doing some amazing um, film screenings at Fact in Liverpool so if you're here in Liverpool and you want to see something a little bit different over Halloween then pop along and support Pride we're going to be there as well so it could be your chance to actually meet us mm-hmm. um, but go easy and um, so on Basically, there's a film on either side of Halloween. I think on, on Halloween night, is Life Force on? Or something? Yeah, the guy there who does the quiz is yeah. putting Life Force on. Is that on Halloween night itself? I'm not sure. Maybe the 28th. Possibly. The 28th, that's the Saturday. So basically, Monday the 30th of October, um, they're going to be showing The Hunger, the Tony Scott film starring um, Catherine Deneuve, David Bowie, and Susan Sarandon. That's like um, queer, vampire, neuromantics... Got a great lesbian love scene set to the flower duet between Susan Sarandon and Catherine Deneuve. That's just camp. And then um, on the other side of Halloween, on the Wednesday, the 1st of November, they're actually going to be showing Daughters of Darkness, which if you go back, you'll uh, you'll see we did a podcast about that a while, a while back, which is a fabulous queer horror film. Again, lesbian vampires. Yeah. But this time set in a out of season hotel in Ostend, and it's all like really rain soaked and mm. desolate and gothic, and really really camp as well. The the lead vampire is based on Marlene Dietrich, 
So, uh, you know, if that doesn't tell you, you need to see it then. I don't know what will. So, pop along and have a look anyway. We've we've been talking to the Pill Prides about these films and the, the, the sort of stepping out and, and making an effort. So, we're hoping to do more of this. And then we will probably try and do some sort of live Screaming Queens event at some point as well. They did actually um, ask if we were interested in talking about The Hunger but I, I thought we're not quite prepared because it's only in a few weeks. Yeah. So I thought we'll we'll wait and we'll yeah. do something special maybe next year. So uh, come come and see them. So that's Monday the 30th of October, uh, The Hunger, A Fact, A Half Six, and on Wednesday the 1st of November, Daughters of Darkness, A Fact, and that's either Half Six or Half Seven. Check the website. Life And Life Force. Um, it's is, one of my favourites. It's one of John's favourites. Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper. It? I think it's honest, like a tribute to Toby Hooper's art recently. Yeah. Yeah, and that's on the Saturday the 28th. I'm not sure what time that is. No, I don't know. I think it's on quite late. I think it's, do you want to do like a midnight movie? So I think it starts Ah, quite late. Cool. Um, So go to the website for that one. That's fact.co.uk. My choice was Halloween. Original. Original. The original. Um, And yeah, I was just, I I was sort of thinking about trying to come up with something a bit clever and different and all that, but then I just thought, well, why the hell not? It's my favorite horror movie ever. So we're talking about the Rob Zombie one, yeah? <laughs> of course, the Rob Zombie one, the <laughs> di- extended director's course with extra shit dialogue and rape. <laughs> <laughs> so Halloween, obviously most people who will listen to this will know what we're talking about, but 1978 slasher movie from John Carpenter starring Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Pleasance. And it uh, c- concerns, so set in the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois, and one Halloween night in 1963, a little boy called Michael Myers walks in on his big sister and her boyfriend getting a bit smoochy. They go upstairs, have the quickest sex in the world ever. Mm-hmm. And then when the boyfriend leaves, Michael puts a little clown mask on, goes upstairs and stabs her to death till she's lying covered with blood all over her tits. Um, and he is then thrown in a mental asylum and then 15 years mm. later on one dark and stormy night during a thunderstorm he escapes jumps in a car which he can miraculously drive and heads off to Haddonfield <coughs> to his hometown and with no specific reason just the fact that he's pure unstoppable evil he targets three babysitters and stalks them on Halloween night and one of those babysitters just happens to be Jamie Lee Curtis, daughter of Janet Lee from Psycho. <laughs> and she is our plucky heroine, virginal, wearing really bad tights from JC Penny. And um, she manages to outwit him, but he is unstoppable. And he went on to spawn countless sequels. <laughs> and we're getting another one this year. No, we're not. Where are we getting it next year? Next year. Next year. We're getting another one next year. I love Halloween. I think it probably is my favourite horror film, too. I think oh, it's good. practically. I was thinking when I was watching it for tonight, it's practically perfect. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In every way. Just, just <laughs> 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 it's not even Mary Poppins. Yeah. From the the casting and the characters and the interplay between them to Donald Pleasance, who's just yeah. always marvellous. Yeah. And the music is just incredible. Yeah. It's just it's such there's a great pace to the film. Everything's set up very, very quickly. You don't. There's no time to get bored. It's a really concise and precise yeah. film. It's just. It's really excellently done, and it's filmmaking that you, you, well, you just don't see that yeah. anymore. You don't see 
filmmaking that isn't bloated and yeah have extraneous material in it this mm. is a great film uh, I'm not really a fan I don't really like having <laughs> really <laughs> <laughs> no it is it's just that perfect film that you can just watch it again mm. and again and again it always gets something enjoyable from it yeah and it doesn't get boring with the repeat it is just perfect and I'll watch Jamie Lee Curtis until I die I just love it can I ask you a question Jonathan Butler yes where do you stand on Jamie Lee Curtis as in like as an objective of desire then and now I remember watching True Lies and I enjoyed that that was that was um, the improvised pole dancing scene. yeah that yeah. was that was good I like that I've just always found that straight men seem to really really like her yeah even though in Halloween she's like she's sort of I think it's the stuff that comes after it's like trading places and that's mm. what she's kind of known for Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> he likes it so much he just knocked the glass off the table. Was, was there anything in it? It was no, a ghost, that was me. That was a poltergeist. <laughs> <laughs> the glasses are just flying off the table. Um, yeah, no, I suppose she's more known f- that that sex symbol status came later on. Right. Yeah. It? I think she looks hotter now than she's ever looked with the shorts like grey hair. Yeah. She looks amazing. It's just interesting because I remember growing up I loved this film and my big brother. Barry used to just like perv off her totally and I used to think even though I knew I was well I didn't really know I was gay but I, I knew that I, I sort of didn't really fancy girls the way he did but even then I, th- I found it a bit strange because she is so sort of asexual in this film mm. compared to the other girls and then I noticed I was talking to my little brother a few weeks ago and he was looking at that you know that new picture that's come out it's, there's a fantastic new picture that, that they're using to promote the new Halloween where Jamie Lee stood on the porch at the old house with yeah. the pumpkin Michael Myers in the background and, uh, and my little brother was like oh I still would <laughs> I just thought it's so funny and I've, I've often throughout my life heard straight men really mm. go to town talking about how they fancy Jamie Lee Curtis even in Halloween and yeah I just wondered whether you might be one of yeah. those Mr. Butler I mean those tights he's wearing are really ugly and horrible yeah they're weird <laughs> stupid yeah they white knitted yeah. tights and it's like that, that's like really thick tight. that's a turn off right away but you know if you look past that then yeah because I thought as well at the end of the last 15 minutes of the film mm. she actually looks amazing and mm. she's literally just got a blue shirt and jeans on mm-hmm. but she looks really sort of in a way she looks quite chic and stuff though she stood there waiting to go to the house to be stalked and all that sort of stuff yeah. um, but I, I watched it I watched the film again today with the commentary on and she does the commentary and she's like crazy in the best way and um, she talks about the, the 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 way she dressed, and she said that they dressed her as if her mum bought all of her clothes. Mm-hmm. That's who the character is. Yeah, so that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. She's what? She's like fifteen, sixteen. Is she something? Like yeah, that. and she's a bit, you. Know, she's a bit geeky, isn't she? And she's you know, yeah. got her head. You know, she's her priority is her books. Yeah, <laughs> she's left her mm-hmm. left her chemistry book behind at school yeah. while her mates are distracted by boys or chasing boys. Yeah. Um, Who needs books anyway? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forget all my books. <laughs> my maths book, my French book. Totally. Um, <laughs> whereas, whereas Laurie, you get the sense that Laurie, well, Laurie is interested in dating, but it just it's a bit overwhelming for her. Yeah. She's at that point in her life where she's interested, but it's still really scary. Yeah, yeah. So Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis... Then you've got um, you've got Linda played by PJ Souls, and you've got Annie played by Nancy Lewis. And Jonathan mentioned before when he when he came around, um, 
the interesting thing, which I've always thought really interesting, is the opening credits introducing Jamie Lee Curtis mm. as, and mm. then Auntie Loomis as, PJ Souls as. And it feels like the, the film, it feels like John Carpenter and Deborah Hill really had a lot of confidence in those girls. They thought these three are real winners. Yeah. And they, they just put them up on the, like the, the billing that they get for this film is, is brilliant. And it suits them as well, because mm. they are three little stars, really, aren't they? Yeah. Even though Jamie Lee was the only one to go on to any major success, really. The three of them really hold their own. I think in this film, you really care about them. You don't particularly want them to die. No, but they should. They they could all be proud of their performances. Yeah. You know, this it's this isn't this isn't a film where anybody who's stars in it would think, oh, I want to draw a veil over that. Don't talk yeah. to me about Halloween. Although I think PJ Souls does cringe a bit about the books really? thing because that right. was improvised because they were just like. You need to just ramble for right. so she's like, what, what do we talk about? Who needs books anyway? And then rambles on about books. That's really, but it's it really funny. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny. I forgot my chemistry book. So who cares? I always forget my chemistry book and my math book and my English book and my, let's see, my French book. And well, who needs books anyway? I don't need books. I, I always forget all my books. I mean, it doesn't really matter if you have your books or not. Um, so going back to so the talking about the opening credits and stuff. I find that, I don't know whether it's just because of the time in my life that I watched it or what, but the minute that music comes on, I'm terrified. Yeah, you just... That creepy... Ugh. As soon as you heard the first notes, it's just... Yeah. You can't describe it. It's You just know. Yeah. It's Halloween. Yeah. I remember. I My friend Callum lived with me for a few months, about 10 years ago, and we watched this. And he was staying in my flat and he went to bed in his bedroom. Well, we both went to bed in our separate bedrooms. <coughs> just gone to bed. I walked down the hallway and stood outside his bedroom, <laughs> bedroom door going, thinkity, thinkity, thinkity. <laughs> <laughs> and when he, opened, when he opened the door, I was stood there with a knife. <laughs> it's fun living with me. Yes. When I'm mischievous. I can, I can well imagine. Um, so the music, and then when the pumpkin comes on and the, the orange writing and everything, everything about it just gives me the chills mm-hmm. from the from the get-go. Every time I watch it, I get this sort of um, deep-rooted fear, but excitement yeah. at the same time. Um, and but that's it, what a horror film should do. That's yeah, the aim. That's what a horror yeah. film is supposed to do. Mm. It's supposed to give you that feeling. It oozes it, doesn't it? It's mm. the, and, and you know you're watching something quite special with mm. it as well. But it's all really subtle. I mean, there's some of the the use of the music is it. It's not like a lot of the films that you have nowadays, where there's lots of really loud mm. noises or music that constantly tell you what to yeah. experience or feel. John Carpenter uses the music in a really subtle. A really interesting way so you can you, there's one point where the, the music really speeds up and you know mm. it's when the car mm. is coasting by speed and kills. It's, yeah, yeah speed kills and it stops mm. and it suddenly speeds up and you know that that's just signaling to you mm. that their heartbeats are like yeah and it yeah it's really really it's really really clever yeah yeah i think um one of the interesting things on the as on the documentaries i've watched about it he said that they showed all the dailies that they've done and like the film to like producers and that and they just weren't impressed with anything and he hadn't added the music yet at all and he showed everything and didn't find it scary and then he re-showed it again with the music to them hmm. and he completely changed all the views and I think this is one of those great examples of the music itself being an extra character hmm. and really adding something else 
to the film. Definitely, definitely. The music's one of the. I, I said that I was watching it the other night and I thought that there's more than one boogeyman in this film. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, there's there's Michael obviously there's the music but there's also um, Suburbia is mm-hmm. the third boogie, boogeyman of this film. <laughs> and there's a great line in it. I'll, I won't quote it now, but I'll, I'll drop a little quote in for you. Um, the bit where he talks about the bit where towards it's, it's past past the halfway point where Sheriff Brackett saying to Loomis about uh, you know what you know what my town is. It's it's family is all lined up in rows, and you mm-hmm. tell me they're lined up for a slaughterhouse. And it's it's that idea. It's that sort of um, that sort of dead behind the eyes quietness of suburbia, and it's the fact that you know that those people won't help you when you're in trouble. And that's what happens in the film, isn't mm-hmm. it? You know, towards the end, Jamie Lee's scream of help, people just turn the light off and, and lock the door and walk away. And it does make you wonder what you do in that situation mm-hmm. as well. Um, but it's that same sort of suburbia that turns its back on it is also the same place that bred Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. He came yeah. from there. And now they're turning the back on, on his victims. So I always feel like the music and the setting are like two big scary yeah. monsters in this yeah. film as well as as well mm. as Michael. I do love the opening one shot on this film. It's just perfect. One of the most amazing scenes in any film ever. Oh, it's the uh, like it's all to- well. It reminds it's a one shot. It reminds me of um, Black Christmas. It's done yeah. in that style, isn't it? Yeah. But we even spoke about that, didn't we, when we were talking about Black Christmas? I think, like, yeah. I think it's on records as being yeah. inspired inspired by yeah. that, isn't he, John Carpenter? Yeah. But there's like only two cuts in it for like a seven, I think it's seven minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's sequence and it's just. Well, it's all done from his perspective as well, mm. isn't yeah. it? Because the, the cut is the mask going on no, his yeah. face, mm. and it's just one. Of, technically, it just yeah, looks brilliant. amazing. But you know what's really interesting about it as well is the fact that it fucking it goes out of focus. Yeah, and you're not bothered. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. never been bothered by that. And then I was watching it again today with the commentary on, and Jamie Lee says, "This is the bit where we go out of focus." And I was like. Oh shit! Yeah, you do, but you're not really you're that into it. You're that sort of scared of what's going to happen. You don't really care. I don't think I've ever noticed it. It's a, it's a bit where, where she's there, but I, I say she because it's Deborah Hill who's who's Michael, isn't it? But mm. when Michael switches the kitchen light on and then goes for the knife, it goes completely blurry for like two or three seconds, yeah. and I've never been bothered by it. Um, was it not on purpose or did you not try to say it was on purpose like oh he's, he's frantically yeah. searching for a knife yeah, yeah. it's from his perspective yeah, and he's yeah. like he's the adrenaline rush but no no, no it, it, was, it was an accident a happy accident um, there's so many scary moments in the film but for me I think the scariest moment is the second section where, where they go into where they go into the asylum and everyone's wandering about in the yeah. dark yeah. so after the after the <coughs> murder of Judith Myers Michael we see Michael unmasked as a little boy, and then we jump forward to 1978. So 15 years later, um, it is 15 years. Yes, yeah. yeah. right. Um, we moved to Smith's Grove Sanitarium, where um, there's an amazing. I mean, watching it through 5.1 surround as well, the thunderclaps are just really scary, and it's really mm. gothic, old style camp horror. But it doesn't really feel that way mm. when you're watching it. But it is. Um, and they, they shot it all in, in, a, in a garage apparently but um, the car stuff but we've got Dr. Sam Loomis who's named after Sam Loomis from Psycho and you've got his assistant nurse Marion named after Marion Crane from Psycho <laughs> um, and they're going to pick Michael up and there's just a perfect build up of the talking about someone who's not there but, ref- but he's referring to him as it 
Mm-hmm. And you're just like, this is going to be awful, whatever's going to happen next. Because the, the, the way they build him up to be this really unstoppable, horrible person. Um, and then suddenly they notice everyone's wandering about outside the sanitarium because they've got loose. And you've just got a load of loons in white gowns mm-hmm. moving about like ghosts in a, in yeah. a thunderstorm. It's brilliant. For me, that's like possibly the scariest bit for me. Everything after that is scary, but mm. that just really freaks me out. It's the washing line. It's probably no. my scariest bit because it is just that. Some there is something about looking out of a window and there just being somebody mm. yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, it's more scary when you're doing the washing up in front of a dark window and things. You'll just appear, <laughs> but mm. there is just something about looking out of a window and just that figure just looking at you. Mm. So the scene we're talking about here um, is um, Laurie after school looks out the bedroom window and there's Michael stood amongst the washing and then he just vanishes doesn't he as well yeah. mm-hmm. and you're like was he there at all does she imagine it <coughs> see that's not my scariest my scariest is the coming out of the shadow is the iconic that's scene. just unbelievable isn't it it's yeah. just the most perfectly timed and lighted shot in the, anything the way the light falls on the mask is mm. just unbelievable yeah I had to, I've, I've rewound it a few times to watch yeah. it to see him coming in to just see the change oh, I think did they do was it two tricks was it the fact that he was the actor was moving very slowly into shop but also 
didn't he just lower the contrast yeah. or something or turn the contrast up they so had the exposure on. it was um they were using blue light on the sets but it was dim it was a dimmer so they just they had it on very low dim and turned up the dimmer so it, yeah he, he almost didn't have to move yeah it's genius, isn't mm-hmm. it? The more you think about what they did to make this film scary, the scarier it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! I love the uh, the the hedgerow bit where he's ha- he's like hiding behind a hedgerow and he just slow. He just goes like that, yeah. And then as he walks, it, 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 he walks up to and see and he pretends. It's like, oh, this guy, this guy fancies you. He wants a date, and yeah. but there's no one there. Yeah. And when they get there, and he just nobody there poor Laurie scares another one away <laughs> I think that's quite no. sad because she is it that point where she says guys think I'm too small yeah and there is just I just found that really yeah. really really sad and sometimes it depends on what mood I'm in I sort of think Annie's being a bit mean as well yeah. and I think oh, I'll leave her alone yeah because it's sort of bores her and on her being a bit a bit bullyish mm-hmm. isn't it she's not a mean spirit it's a character but you do feel bad for Laurie there it's just one of those things that teenage friends yeah. Do they don't need sometimes yeah. they just push things a little bit too far and take you take that little cruel Yeah, she wouldn't dig. have meant it that way, no. but it probably would have It's felt too that tempting way. not to mm. yeah. not to do. Yeah, I would still do that. <laughs> what I love, I mean, what you were saying before as well about the pacing, the pacing of the film is really interesting because I feel like it manages to be really fast paced whilst being slow mm-hmm. at the same mm-hmm. time. It's slower than the usual slasher movie because it takes time to get to know the people. Yeah. Like the scenes with Laurie and the girls walking home from school. There's a bit where you watch them walk for like nearly a minute, where mm. they're just walking, yeah. and that's all. But you, you've sort of seen their world, aren't you? And you see them in their usual daily routine yeah. with this like evil circle in it, mm. and sort of closer and closer. I love. Um, it's one of the things that it. I don't think it was shot in autumn, or the place where they were. Didn't have like the autumn kind of leaves. I was Pasadena, wasn't it? it was yeah. like California. Mm. So. So they had like a bag, a couple of bags of leaves, <laughs> but they only had them enough for the scenes that they were shooting in so they had to pour them out every scene and then as soon as they filmed that take they had to all run round and all the tasks that they like picking up leaves and shoving them back into bin bags I just think it just shows you how low of a budget you're talking but then you're producing something like this well you know the Myers house as well like the Myers house was that um, it was that dilapidated when they when they filmed it and then the ca- the crew yeah. and the cast, including like Jamie Lee, all did the house for, for, <laughs> for the first scene. She was like, "We painted that house, we, you know. We dressed her and we whitewashed those front wow. those clapperboards, and you know, even the, do it themselves." Wasn't the mask? Even that was kind of like a last minute. Didn't did prop guy just go to the go find a scary mask from the thing? And it was just a William Shatner mask painted white, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, the, he stretched it out to shape, didn't he? Yeah. Well, it was going to need to be a clown. There was an idea that it'd be a clown mask. Mm. Um, but John Carpenter was quite inspired by um, the Franju film um, Eyes Without Face. Face yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. We need to cover that at some point. And that's like there's a mask in that that's just just like mm. emotionless and stuff. So he was inspired by that. So I think he said, "Go and find something like this." Mm. And the minute they saw the William Shatner one, they were like, "That's the one." <laughs> that's so creepy. Poor, uh, poor William Shatner. Yeah. So you got that sort of quite slow-paced first act, which well, sort of middle act, which is the girls getting to know them. And then I, I thought it was quite um, funny how quickly it goes tonight when the drive. Yeah. <laughs> so they're going to do the two babysitting jobs, aren't they? Yeah. Across the road from each other. And suddenly it's night. But they did put in, you know, the scene in the car where they, where they filmed it from the back seat where it's just the two girls going to babysit. That was like a last minute addition, that scene, because they thought they needed a bit more transition to make <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, to, to leave, to go to the job, it's light and then it's dark when you arrive. Yeah. How far away are they babysitting? Yeah. I know, I know. But I always think that transition you're seeing is really nice because it's quite documentary. It's got mm. a documentary feel to it because you're so close with them and it's quite intimate. Mm. Um, and I also think, you know, it follows. Yeah. I feel like that's like an hour and a half version of that scene because mm. you're <laughs> just sort of with them the whole time, yeah. watching them from behind. But yeah, that owes a lot to um, this film, doesn't it? And Carpenter in general. Yeah. Well, they, they even they kind of reuse that the the washing line shot in it follows, isn't it? It's very yeah. similar. Mm. Yeah, I can't put my washing house on the line without thinking of this and the beginning of it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I I love the shots when the uh, it's just it's kind of you're just following the girls around, but then you just see Michael in the background. It's like when there's the hardware store robbery, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. then the, yeah. the, the the chief is talking to his daughter, and then you just see him like drive past in the background yeah. but it's not even since it's happening but you just know that it's him he's just there yeah driving around in this creepy white mask and no one notices mm. as well which is suburbia again isn't it? Oh, yeah. I suppose it's Halloween yeah it's Halloween Actually, in America yeah. Yeah, you are quite right there <laughs> so we go to night and then suddenly you realise you're at the like you're at the start of all the killings and it's like bloody hell this is, this is actually is moving mm. very quickly and then before we get to the killings, we have the really famous scene with uh, Loomis and the sheriff walking around the Myers house, and he has that speech about the, the um, visiting <coughs> Michael at the hospital, and then he had the blackest eyes, the devil's mm. eyes, which is really, really scary, I find. It's like for a doctor to be able to dehumanise someone like that, shows how like, fucked up they must be. Yeah. I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left, no reason... No uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. What do we do? He's been here once tonight. I think he'll come back. I'm gonna wait for him. I still think I should notify the radio and television. No. If you do that, they'll see him on every street corner. They'll look for him in every house. Just tell your men to keep their mouths shut and their eyes open. I think, yeah. Part of it is because he is so blank and faceless of a character, it's the way others describe him that give him his character because mm. he's yeah. just this nothingness and then they tell you how evil it is and then because they've said it in such a great way and described it in such a great way with such conviction, you see him blank and completely believe it. You can just take that, that oh, that's what he is. Mm. John Carpenter talks about when he was a student, he, part of his course, I don't know whether he was doing psychiatry or whatever, or, or something, but he, um, they, part of the course was they visited a mental asylum, and when he was there, he saw a 12-year-old boy sat in his room staring out the window, and, and that sort of planted a seed that came back for this. So it's, yeah. it's actually based I'm on a real person. It's based on a real person. It's based on a real person. Um, but a good way to undo that fear is to watch the TV version of this. Have you seen the scenes that, that they invented with the TV? So basically, um, in 1980, they sold the rights so it would be shown on TV all the time and they wanted to make cuts to air and all this. But um, to pad it out for the two hours of TV mm. slot that it would be in there, 
they had they wanted to uh, shoot a couple of extra scenes just to sort of space it out. So what they did was um, they did like scenes that were based around the sanitarium and L- Loomis trying to keep Michael locked up forever. But one of the scenes is Loomis going to see Michael in his room and he sat there staring out the window and it just undoes all of the hard work because it's actually just a real kid sitting there. Mm-hmm. There's no mystery to it anymore mm-hmm. and you're like... He's not scary, that's just a totally He's just a little kid, TV yeah. actor, you know. Yeah. Whereas so, you could just imagine him being evil with his seeing it. The imagination of Michael Myers, what you think about Michael Myers is the same as what his mask does because the blankness, mm-hmm. you, you project all your worst fears mm-hmm. onto yeah. it, don't you? So that's well, what that, makes it scary. That's the strength of films like this. It's, you know, it's what you can imagine will always be scarier than anything they can show you. Mm-hmm. And that's been in horror for a long time. Now you you don't get films like that now because everything's got to be explained. Exactly. You know, if I'm surprised there's not two prequels to Halloween explaining. Well, there are. What if you think that the well, Rob, Rob Zombie shit piles? Yeah. So it's just like, not why can not just be as it is anymore? Mm. Yeah. I know. It's because the the common misunderstanding people say that they want more. Yeah. They want to see more and they want to know more about the history, but in reality, you never do. Yeah. You don't need to see that because yeah. it ruins everything. Yeah. So whilst Loomis and the sheriff are discussing the devil, the devil child, Michael Myers, he's off stalking Annie, and the scenes where she's in the kitchen, and you can just see his face out the kitchen. Yeah, that's brilliant. Me, me, every time, yeah. clo- if there's a curtain open in my house, I come close every single time. And then he kills the dog yeah. as well. Mm. It's so good that because he, you, you can see him obviously through the window and through the patio, and it's like when's he gonna attack? And, yeah. and he just doesn't. It's just. It stays like that teasing it for so long. He waits for ages, doesn't yeah. he, before he does anything. And you've got the real housewife of Beverly Hills, Carl <laughs> Richards, sitting in the living room. When she's, and he has to wash her clothes, because she smells, <laughs> she smells butter on them, doesn't yeah. she? <laughs> yeah. Michael is playing with her, isn't he? With yeah. the door. Yeah. And like the door being, is obviously gets, is sticks anyway. Yeah. But she gets locked in the wash room, which is like a shed out in the back garden. Yeah. So she tries to get out because she can't attract attract Carl Richard's attention. <laughs> yeah. And tries to get out from the window and get stuck, doesn't she? Yeah. There's a really weird when when Lindsay's watching the telly. Does does mm. anyone else notice this there's weird watching shadow it. that passes over? Yeah. It's mm. just like a mistake. But for a minute there I was like, Oh, there's something gonna yeah. happen to her. They're watching Think for Another World as well, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So he's stalking Annie and then but Annie is um much like a normal teenager wants to just go and have sex with a boyfriend so she's doing everything she can to get out of babysitting isn't she so she palms Lindsay off on Laurie across the street her boyfriend rings doesn't doesn't he and oh, Lindsay um, picks Lindsay picks up the phone and has to go get it. that's how she gets out from being yeah. stuck in the window but I just love that scene where Lindsay runs ahead of Annie to the <laughs> phone to pick up saying she's coming she was she was stuck in the window <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Annie makes a song up about Paul much like Jamie Lee makes a song up earlier on in the film as well Mm. this is a theme Mm. in this film and um, she goes gets in the car and notices that it's all well the the really subtle moment first isn't it is that the car's locked she goes and gets the keys comes back out and then just gets in the car really really easily Mm. and then once she's in there she thinks hang on a sec this car was locked a minute ago but by then it's too late and Michael's got it it's great that he's just like looming in the background it's steamy yeah. windows steamy windows <laughs> but the, you know what's funny is I, I was bought this film again please arrest my parents I was born bought this film when I was about 10 or 11 on VHS 
and it just shows you how bad quality the copy was um, for the first 10 years of my horror loving life I thought she just got strangled I couldn't see the knife yeah that's how bad that VHS copy was so Annie's dead he takes a body sticks it upstairs and then Linda and Bob turn up downstairs and proceeds to um, use the house as a bit of a shag pad yeah. A witch? A romp fest. A romp fest? I always find it really weird, this, the little joke he makes about ripping Lindsay's clothes off. <laughs> so Bob says, so you rip my clothes off, then I'll rip your clothes off, then we'll both rip Lindsay's clothes off. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, she's like nine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you've got what's become a cliche now, haven't you, of the sexually promiscuous teenagers having mm-hmm. it off whilst there's a killer lurking in the, in the background. Um, I find this really scary because the, the way the shadow passes across the bed when they're having sex and all mm. this uh, and then so Bob is quickly dispatched stabbed with the world's strongest knife that pins him yeah, to, mm-hmm. to the wall and you've got that really amazing moment then where Michael just studies studies his um, yeah. Yeah. Just, his head yeah his head that strange childlike thing that like look of wonder like, that's what my dog does when it looks at you yeah like a dog almost like almost like a reptile yeah it's like just yeah Apparently, so scary. Apparently, the direction John Carpenter gave him was um, lo- uh, pretend that you're looking at you know when someone you know when people pin butterflies. Mm. Mm. Look at it like it's just like it's that. A specimen. A specimen. So he's playing games with them, isn't he? Basically, Michael. Mm. So he's been playing with Annie up until he killed her. He's been playing with Bob, and then the scariest game of all, he puts a sheet over his head. Mm. Mr. The, the ghost thing it's just so fucking freaky it's brilliant I remember yeah. when I was a kid getting a magazine with a review of Halloween in it and just the photograph of that scared the shit out of me but does he have glasses on it for the yeah. thing see that scene do, is scary but I always think that Eric Morecambe is going to from under the sheets and like and make his glasses go up and down right so. I never saw Morecambe in my eyes so I don't okay. The older people amongst you. Yeah, I get the reference. That would be really <laughs> No, me neither, Stephen. Linda's death over the phone is really quite freaky as well. Because I think it's really scary once she's dead, when he he just holds the phone mm-hmm. and listens to Laurie talk mm-hmm. at the other end, and she gets like you can see she visibly gets a chill at the other end, doesn't she? Because she's like, something's not right. Yeah. And the killer is there on the other end of the phone. It just really freaks me out. It reminds me of the. Uh, the Mormon, ta- the Mormon Tabernacle obscene phone call as well. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit Black Christmas again. Yeah. It's brilliant. No, you're quite right. Um, and then, so then we very quickly move into like the sort of final act, don't we, where mm-hmm. Jamie Lee um, decides that something's wrong and goes over there and you're just sort of watching her. It seems to take her forever just to get yeah. to the house. And then when she's in there, she thinks they're playing games with her, but it's actually Michael who's playing games with her. And he's sort of laid her dead friends out a little bit like when a cat brings a dead mouse to your yeah. door and leaves yeah. it and proudly. He's like, Look what I did! <laughs> and it's like the sort of ghost train scares, mm. isn't it? Like yeah. One mm. thing flies out from one, you know. Because aren't they all posed like in one room together? It's like the headstone, Jesus yeah. Miles' mm. headstone, yeah. and then someone in the air and cupboards, and then someone in like a closet as well, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. And then we get to the moment what Stephen described before about the mask sort of yeah. materialising out of nowhere. She stabs her in the arm. She goes flying down the stairs. And then from there on in, my skin's like t- crawling because it's the fact that it's just right behind her the whole mm-hmm. time. So I saw an interview with Deborah Hill before where she was talking about how the film is uh, all of the frames are quite wide. 
Mm. Everything sort of loads of space, but the, the closer it gets to the end, things get tighter mm. and tighter. So Michael's closer and closer until he's finally, she's trapped in that little wardrobe mm. and he's yeah. like trying to get mm. her through there. Another iconic horror moment, isn't it's it? It's amazing, that. The coat's anger. Mm. And you do, you can feel the tension there and it's genuinely a scary moment. Tommy's pretty slow to get downstairs as well to open the door. I'd be fucking man. booting that kid once he opened the door. We move sort of into the final act where it's Laurie versus Michael. She takes him on, she stabs him how many times? She stabs him three times? Is that right? A couple of times. Mm-hmm. Stabs him in the eye with the coat hanger, doesn't she? Yeah. Like she like sticks a needle in his neck. Mm-hmm. That's it, a needle in the neck. And then she stab, finally stabs him. Mm. Um, the bit where they say you can't kill the boogeyman and he's walking up the stairs behind her that's brilliant mm-hmm. so it's Laurie versus Michael the mask comes off um, he's actually just got a normal face as well it's funny but they, they talk about where when the film first came out on the cinema and stuff people screamed when his mask came off because they were just a, a waiting for this monster mm. and even though there's nothing scary yeah. about him people mm. were still like terrified by seeing his face is it not has he not got like a mask on or not or is, it, or is it just literally a normal face? I didn't know. I, it goes that fast, I didn't spot it. Yeah, where she rips his mask yeah, off. Yeah, I know, I know that bit, but I thought he had, like, wasn't his eye down here and oh, stuff? he's got, like, a... It's because she stabbed him. Ah, I see. She stabbed him with the needle, didn't she? So he's got, like, a little tiny prosthetic ah. over that eye. Mm. But the rest of it's just normal, man. Mm. It is Eric Moore. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's it. There's nothing to be scared of. I killed him. And then the kid responds with, you can't kill the boogeyman. Yeah. So that's what they're trying to make him. They're trying to make him this. He's not Michael Myers. He's this elemental. This is just the evil boogeyman. They put you put all your fears onto. So that's what they're trying to. What's trying to be, isn't it? Death has come to your little town, sheriff. Mm-hmm. He's like just death on two legs, isn't yeah. he? That's mm-hmm. what he's meant to be. So he was never meant to be set up to be her secret brother and mm-hmm. all this sort of stuff. So obviously, when it came out. Um, John Carpenter left it open-ended, but it wasn't open-ended for the sequel. It was just open-ended just to say, this is yeah. unstoppable hmm. evil. But obviously, when it came out, it had a very slow start. They didn't think it was going to be successful. And then hmm. bit by bit, words about spread, and it was huge. Obviously, 
they start to crying out for the, for the sequel. So what's interesting is when they made Halloween 2, that was when they shot all those extra scenes to go into the TV version of Halloween yeah. 1. And um, one of the extra scenes, which is really annoying, is when Michael breaks out of the hospital, he goes to his room and he's written sister on the wall. Oh, no. So, the, yeah, so there were people watching the first Halloween who were being led into the second mm. one. Yeah, because the second twist. one is the twist, isn't it? Yeah. And they don't mention it at all in the first one. Yeah. Which is basically what happens, isn't it, with sequels or prequels? It's like the Lord of Diminishing Returns. Mm. It's You're losing the essence of what made the film scary, so you have to try and replace it with something that keeps it going. Yeah. So crap plot twists are usually the way forward, aren't they? So Michael yeah. Myers is a sister. One of the uh, plot one twist of... is a sister. Hmm. Plot twist is a sister. That will be a twist. <laughs> That's what's the next one. Next year. Is that the new one? <laughs> <laughs> Michael Myers. Is Laurie's sister? Michael Myers. Imagine. Oh, there'd be a trans outroar. 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 An outrage. An outrage. What of the so look, just because uh, I only watched the, the TV version before, um, the most annoying. Well, there's two hilarious things that they, they decided to include in the film. That Michael's got a middle name and it's Aubrey. Aubrey. <laughs> what? Aubrey. Michael Aubrey Myers. <laughs> <laughs> what? Is that real? It's so much scarier, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you making that up? No, no. The other extra scene that they dropped in there was um, like a fun scene between Annie, La- Annie, Laurie and Linda. And it's Annie and Linda trying to ask Laurie, couldn't they borrow some clothes off her to go out that night? And hasn't, I read about this, hasn't Laurie got a hair in, in the, the towel because her hair's longer yeah. Yeah. than it was in the... Yeah. The film was short. Yeah. The hair's been cut. But look at look at Annie and Linda and their lives and their attitudes and their dress sense. Yeah. Look at Laurie. Yeah. Why would they be going to her asking her can they borrow her new top to go out to the prom? Maybe. When her mum buys the clothes yeah. and, and she, she wears ugly tights. Yeah. Would so you not be sarcastic? I, I was going to say maybe it's well unless it was. Whoever was asked to do it was like, I don't really want to do this. This is bullshit. Why John Carpenter reshot the scene, these so, new scenes. So maybe he's done. He's put in a scene that obviously doesn't make sense to kind of say, I, I don't really yeah. want him to do with this. To sabotage. It's a bit like remember the A Team where like you know there'd be hundreds of bullets flying around and no one would die. Yeah. And by the end of it, the producers were just like, oh, we're sick of this shit. We're just just nonsense. Yeah. Well, that would make sense. Yeah. Mm. That would make There's sense. a famous scene, I think, in one of the, late, the later episodes of the team where a helicopter crashes into a mountain yeah. and falls to the ground and everyone just climbs up this flaming wreckage of a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it explodes. And I, but by that point, it was, the director was doing it on purpose. It was like, this is bullshit. Why am I doing this? <laughs> It was all like the model majority and stuff in America at the time. It was yeah. like, oh, people can't die. Of course. The film was a huge success and obviously spawned all these sequels. They wanted Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. They went to them two first and both mm. of them turned them down to play Loomis. And then years later, after the film was a huge success, Christopher Lee actually said to John Carpenter it was one of the biggest regrets of his life mm. that, he, that he turned that yeah. role down. That's what you get for being snobby. In, in a weird way, I think Donald Pleasant probably would have done a better job. I yeah. think... Yeah. He, Christopher Lee brings so much baggage to the role, wouldn't he? You know, you'd, you'd have all these horror films that he's famous for, so yeah. you'd be expecting that. Whereas Donald Pleasant just gives a just a, a great performance. Exactly. Yeah. It's just Donald Pleasant. Yeah. I think he there is something a little unsettling. I think 
in any film with John Rawls, mm-hmm. the Sunday Box might find unsettling, yeah. and he's not trying to be unsettling. Yeah. He's just being Donald Pleasant. It's unpredictable. It's a, yeah, it's his voice and mm. everything. There's a bit of madness behind his eyes. Yeah. Isn't yeah. There? That's Halloween for you then. For me, it sort of enters into sort of horror mythology because, well, it's such a good film just on its own, but it's also got all those links to Psycho and Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Uh, Janet Lee's daughter plays the Scream Queen heroine and it just does genuinely scare you. If you're, if you're looking for a film that isn't... It's like what Martin said before, they'll never make a film like that again, really. No. I can't, I'm, I'm struggling to think of like a leaner, more well-constructed horror film. Yeah. I yeah. don't, really don't think there's one. Yeah. And I think for that, I think of all of the three of the main horror people that you're going to talk about, Freddy Krueger and Jason, I think Michael Myers probably is the most dominating scary one for me. Yeah. He's the one that never really dropped from being scary, except when you don't include him. I'm making a musical number. Well, he's truly, because he's, he's truly scary, so the J- Freddy became a, a, com- a comedy character. Mm-hmm. Jason became a pop culture character, yeah, really. Yeah, um Whereas Michael was never really that. So Michael's someone who... He, I find it always funny and annoying when people talk about horror icons that they always say Freddy and Jason. They never say Freddy, Jason and Michael. Mm. Yeah. But that's because Michael's more, more of a serious, creepy character. They tried to jazz him up a bit, didn't they? I mean, Halloween Resurrection, where Buster Rhymes tried to... Um, <sighs> so Kung Fu kick him to death. I love yeah. how bad that film is. <laughs> I just can't bear it at all. Um, no, I, I, I don't like I the later just, ones where they've tried to turn no, him into that this premise is the most ridiculous premise of anything ever and I love it where they try to make all supernatural stuff with him and it's yeah. like I can't get on board with that the first one there's nothing wrong with the way it is it's yeah. just he's just this it's a bit like the Terminator it's just like this elemental evil force that yeah. you can't stop and why do you need to shit on it with all these sequels and stuff just is perfect because yeah. <laughs> he is actually yeah. just human and yeah. that's what's scary yeah. is he isn't yeah, okay, there is the unstoppable element, but you know he is just he's just a boy. Mm. He's oh, playing and he's playing with people, playing mm. games. Well with look, people, I think what well for me anyway, what it's trying to say is that this is evil that's within you. It's not it's not an evil that can be stopped because it's the evil that's within, every, within yeah. everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. the horror and mm. evil that comes from suburbia. Mm. This is your neighbour. This is your neighbour and you can't stop your neighbour because mm. even if you do I know another neighbour's going to move in this is just yeah, yeah. the evil between everyone you don't know what's what's lurking behind the no. mask do you mm. the curtains open behind Stephen <laughs> oh, I think we should close them that'll fix <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really actually looking forward to the new one because I think they are trying I think the lessons have been learned by the later sequels and I think that they are trying to sort of take it back to something um a bit more rooted. Well, they're ignoring everything, apart from one, aren't they? <laughs> Basically, Even two yeah. is getting ignored. Yeah, and Which I quite like two. It's a good choice, though. I think That's you don't need to remake everything. You don't need, we don't need a remake of Halloween. Mm. But ignoring everything after the first one is a pretty good idea. And we do want to see Laurie Strode fight back. The best part of Halloween H2O was the, that moment where she smashes the thing and gets the, gets the axe out. And she yeah. decides to go and confront Michael. That's like spine chilling stuff, and yeah. I want to see. Which is why I really like that one. But yeah, exactly, which mm-hmm. is which is I want to see ninety minutes of that basically. Yeah. So so if we get that, then I'll be happy. That's our first, the first of our Halloween specials and looking at Halloween. So hope you enjoyed it. Um, do you agree with me that it's the best horror movie ever made? If you don't, you better have a good reason why. <laughs> 
But please tweet me and let me know at Johnny Larkin, or you can tweet Stephen at HD99, or Jonathan Butler at... Cthulhu502. Or... Me at the Myers house. (laughs) Just write Martin Fantasy on a brick and chuck it through the back window of the Myers house. (laughs) See what happens. He's going to come and eat your dog. (laughs) Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. What's going on out here? Call the police. Tell the sheriff I shot him. He's still on the loose. Is this some kind of joke? I've been trick or treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is.